0: Well, I think that I've, I've realized, man, I coach people, not basketball. Uh, at the end of the day, you know, when I, when I want to turn things around or I want to maximize potential, I got to look at the hearts and the minds of my players. And, and really for me, I'm always asking two questions. How do I unify hearts? How do I create fearless minds? And if I can get in the minds and the hearts of my players, I think I can turn dials that can't be turned with, with the best set play or the best practice plan or, or whatever.
1: Your Hi, and welcome to the Champions 101 Culture and Leadership Podcast. My name is Travis Doherty. I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Our goal here, as always, in today's conversation, is to learn from some great leaders and culture builders. To pull back the curtain a little bit on what motivates them and what makes them who they are, and to use that insight to become the best leaders and culture builders we can be with our teams at work, at home, or wherever else our leadership is called for. As always, the podcast is brought to you by Champions 101. Champions 101 is a sports performance and leadership development program designed to help coaches, athletes, and sports parents get the most out of their athletic experience. Like any 101 course, it's focused on the fundamentals, the basics of what becoming a champion requires. The truth is, champions aren't born, they're built. That's our belief at Champions 101, and I hope your belief too. If you're a coach or an athletic director who's interested in developing your leaders and strengthening the culture where you are, You can learn more at champions101.com. Today's guest on the podcast is Indiana Wesleyan University men's basketball coach, Greg Tonegal. Coach Tonegal is in his 18th season leading the Wildcats and has built one of the most successful programs at any level of college basketball. He's a three-time national champion and three times he's been named the NAIA Division II National Coach of the Year. One of the pillars of Indiana Wesleyan's culture is built on the idea of playing fearlessly. Today's conversation focuses on how Coach Tonegal came up with that concept, on how he's built that mentality in his players, and on what leading a fearless program looks like for him. I think we can all agree, no matter what level we coach at, that we'd love to help our players play fearlessly. There's some great insight in today's conversation, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Coach Tonagal, welcome. Appreciate you being here, and thanks, of course, for sharing your time with us.
0: Yeah, excited to talk with you.
1: Your program has obviously had tremendous success over the course of your career, but specifically in the last six or eight years, you've really taken that success to the next level and developed in, in my mind, what I would describe as one of the strongest cultures and most clearly defined cultures of any team that I've followed and any team that I know at any level. One of, one of the pillars of that culture is this word, this idea of fearless, that's become such an important part of your, your program's identity. I, I know it was through a desire to take your program to the, to the next level six or eight years ago that you kind of uncovered that concept. So I was hoping if you could start here by just kind of going back to where that fearless idea originated for you.
0: Yeah, definitely. would love to talk about that. I think if you graphed our program, uh, you know, for the full 17 years that I've been here, it's it's probably a graph that's from the lower left to the upper right. But in 2014, you you would just see this big spike, you know. And I think if you're if you're studying grass, you just ask, well, what happened in 2014? And that was the year Fearless became part of our program, and and Fearless was embedded into the life of our program. And how it came about, I think, like most other growth stories, was it came about through adversity. It came about through an obstacle. We had just come off our fourth Elite Eight in five years, and you know, you go to your first Elite Eight, and it's like, hey, this is fun. You go to your second, you're excited. Well, by the time you go to your third and fourth, you're wondering, why can't I get to a final four? And everybody's asking, you know, because in basketball, that's kind of the mark people, people got fed up with elite eights. And I was asking that too. Like, why is there a lid on our program? Why, why are we just close enough, but we're not getting over that hump. We, we've been ranked number one in the country, but then we'd get to the postseason and, you know, another elite eight. So I kind of went on this journey in the off season and I, I, I randomly called up two coaches who had won national championships in the, in, in the NAI and who had done things differently than me. Like I knew their style is different and I just wanted to learn. I was thinking, okay, maybe it's, maybe it's something schematically, you know, maybe from a practice perspective. So I fly out to this Kansas city uh, university in Kansas city and have a great discussion. I spend two days and I'm watching them work out and I'm asking questions. Then I go to the next place in, in Texas. Uh, and I'm walking around and this guy had uncommon success. He had national championship. He had four national player of the years in a seven year span. It was just, it was this ridiculous stat. Everybody that went there or who played for him like exceeded their potential. So as I started to ask questions, everybody started to say, hey, man, he takes fear out of the game. This These kids are fearless. And I'm talking to secretaries and they're like, you know what? There's just a lot of joy the way these kids interact, there's just no fear. And so I began to ask more questions. And it was evident that fearless was an important part of this program. It was Donnie Boswick, and he was at Southwest Assemblies of God at the time. Well, on the plane back, it, it just hit me. It was like, that's it. You know, I got a lot of good drills over those four days, but it was really about what does fearless mean? And I wrote our staff an email on the plane. And I just remember saying, hey, guys, at this moment in our career, at this moment in history, God's calling us to be fearless. I don't know what that means, but I'm excited to journey with you. So I get home and we just start talking and asking questions. And uh, like, like most things we do, we want to go to the word and we just want to ask, what what is the word? What does the Bible have to say about fearless? And, and interesting, and I got I to make this comment because it still blows me away. But what we found early on as we were studying, if you take all the different um, Topics that Jesus talked about, and you were to organize them. He talked about fearless the most, which blew me away. You know, if you'd have asked me yeah. going into it, I said, "Okay, he probably talks about loving or serving, maybe even money, but he talks about fear the most." And I think the reason is this: like he knows fear stands in the way of you and I being great, and he wants to do anything he can to help us realize our potential as people. And so, fear is something that that gets in the way. So we began to study it. We took our team. And we just said, hey, for this whole year, this is what we're going to grow. And this is what we're going to uh, develop in. And, and a long story short, I won't take your whole time, but, you know, season was still up and down. It wasn't like it was a straight shot to the top, but we won our first national championship that year. <laughs> uh, and it came to life. We broke about every offensive record that Indiana Wesleyan had. Our players said they had the most fun. They were the most free. And it was in those big moments rather than fear motivating them or restricting them or paralyzing them it was this fearless mentality that took them to another level and we've never looked back. Um, We're always trying to grow uh, in that concept, in that way. We're trying to play fearless. I'm trying to take fear out of the game. You know, I think, I think like this, like I grew up in Indiana, I was a student of the game. I've watched some of the greatest coaches of all time, Bob Knight and Gene Katie, and those guys were great. And that, that was a different era, but those guys use fear, right. To motivate their teams. And I think now, at least for me, I'd rather take fear out of the equation. Uh, I still think you can have a disciplined team, but I just think you're going to pull more p- potential out of your players as, as you coach them and as you lead them.
1: Yeah, I love that. So I guess that leads me to, to this next question. To make a decision like that, to commit to building a fearless program, that, that had to have meant that you recognized some elements of fear that existed in your program at that point, right? Either in your individual players or in maybe the larger team concept. So I, I guess I'm curious now, as you look back, or maybe at that time, what did you identify as, you know, how did that fear manifest itself for your teams in, in the moments when it kind of came t- to the surface?
0: Yeah, I, I think for me personally, I went back to my playing days and I began to really think about why did I get up at 5 a.m. every morning, you know, to work out and to shoot an extra thousand shots? Why was I staying after each and every practice? At some point, it was for the love of the game. But then at some point, it transitioned to the fear of failure. And I I, I was one. And I think it's I think some people are just wired this way. I feared failure more than I loved it, the opportunity to win. Yeah. And there's moments where that's good, but there's moments where That just leads to burnout. And I got got to a place where I was burned out. I remember in college thinking, I don't care if I ever play this game again. Yeah, And I couldn't identify what was it at that moment. But as I began to discover what fearless was, it was fear. Fear was a motivator for me at the time. Well, fear can get you results, but it also puts a lid on your potential. And the other thing we've learned is that and we say is that greatness favors the fearless. In other words, fears the great thief of greatness. And if you want to do anything great, you, you've got to let go of that fear because fear is paralyzing. You know, the example I'd give you is, you know, if, if I'm on the free throw line in a big moment, you know, for these Indiana kids, it's, it's sectional championship. And I'm in my head saying, don't leave this short. If I leave this short, the entire town is going to be upset. The kids are going to be upset. Social media is going to blow up. I go ahead and shoot it. W- what's going to happen? I've left it short, right? I, it wasn't because of lack of form or technique. It wasn't because I didn't shoot enough free throws. It's because fear got in the way. Yeah. So I think just paying attention to those things, recognizing my own fear as a player, then I get into coaching. And of course I'm going to coach the way I played, right. I'm going to, I'm going to drive guys. I'm going to, when they're not living up to my expectations, I'm going to hang a little bit of fear over them and let them know that like, look, I'm your authority figure. And and you're either going to step up or you're going to feel my pain. And I was young and winning was my high priority. So of course I was going to use those methods, but. You know, the interesting thing, I wasn't fulfilled as a coach because I was constantly frustrated, but they weren't reaching their potential. So it was like it was almost like a no brainer. It's like, hey, if if you begin to take fear out of the game, you're going to have more fun and they're going to do better. Well, what coach wouldn't sign up for that? Right. I think I think we all would take that in a a hurry.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, When you think about your experience as a young coach and and the way you led. I doubt you would say it was fear you were trying to create, right? Maybe it, maybe it was at times, but was the was the fear sometimes created unknowingly out of like some other desire or pursuit you had? And if so, then like what was it that you would have justified? Like here's what I'm after, but fear is is sort of the byproduct that I've unknowingly created in my guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, and it, I think a lot of coaches like this, because we're we're wired to control. Um, mm-hmm. that's that's what makes us good. we We can control practices, environments, we can control our our players' uh, kind of their growth trajectory. But that control turns into a paralyzing effect. and And when they don't act the way we want them to act or they don't meet our expectations, then I think the response is is to just continue to to put more pressure on them. and And these are what eighteen to twenty two year old kids, the ones I'm coaching. That never works out for the better of them, and I think for me, I had to recognize like there is a surrender aspect because I remember like it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Like, hey, we're gonna go fearless and this is gonna work out. It was like we're gonna do this, but you're gonna have to let go a little bit. And you know, I was twenty, I don't know, I was like twenty eight at the time. I wasn't ready to let go. Uh, I wanted to control and I wanted them to be as, as uh, you know, intense as I was and and to feel that moment. But but I realized that that wasn't the best for our program, and so personally, I really had to change some things. I, I had I had to give guys space to fail too. That was one of the biggest things. I think now, I tell them every day, like I can't wait to watch you fail. Like when, when you walk into practice, you're gonna fail. I'm gonna accept it, and so are you. Whereas before, they would walk into practice, and it was like, you better not fail. If you do, I'm gonna make you pay for that failure. Well of course, they're not going to give it their all. Of course, they're not going to stretch themselves if that's the perspective. But as a coach, you got to sometimes, I guess, just surrender that desire to control so many aspects of your players.
1: Hey, now's a great time for me to take a quick break to tell you about Dr. Bish, the best, the most user-friendly, and the most advanced shooting machines in the world. Dr. Dish machines are the most effective way to increase purposeful reps in your program. They provide custom training, real-time and detailed analysis, and top-of-the-line drills and workouts. You can check out their selection at drdishbasketball.com and mention the Champions 101 Culture and Leadership Podcast for an exclusive discount on select models. Now, back to today's conversation. Okay, so when you decided to make Becoming fearless a priority. What did that practically or or tangibly look like in terms of not just explaining the idea to your guys? You know, I had Tim Kite from Focus Three on the podcast recently, and he talked about you know culture is really the journey from the paper to the head to the heart. You know, mm-hmm. and you can put the word fearless uh, in a notebook or you can put a poster up on the wall. I'm curious what the process of like changing the mindset and the behaviors of your players look like? And, and, and what was that process like?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll give you just a really practical one. And it's different for everybody. I think that's, that's the challenge of coaching is finding out what is it that this player fears? And then how do I remove that? So for some, you know, it could be, it could be their old man. They just fear that they've never lived up to their old man's expectations. So one thing we do is we have a father-son retreat every year where we come in and we don't talk about performance. We just have a weekend together and we talk about what's happening off the court. And we see bonds begin to form. And we see for the first time players have conversations with their dads that aren't centered around basketball and performance and statistics. And that has alleviated some fears for, for some. You know, some guys, a scouting report just paralyzes them. And I, I was so guilty of creating the 10-page scouting report my first 10 years in coaching. And it was like, you need to know all this. And if you don't, you will pay for it the next day in practice. Well, as we know, if a player's thinking he's not playing fast and we want to play fast, but if he's thinking about the 10 different actions, this team's going to run and the 10 different ways I told them how to guard it, he's never going to get there. So we had to dumb down our scouting reports. And we still do to this day. I think some people would look at our scouting reports and think, do you guys do anything? And it's like, I do all the work behind the scenes. And then I give them a very simple and, and very short scouting report because I want them to be able to play fast and, and free rather than think through these things. Uh, and there's a lot of different ways to embed that. It could be the drills, the way we design drills. We, we don't want them complex. We want them simple because we want our players to play out of freedom. Um, and bigger than all that is, is, is the heart at which you're fearless. Like to me, you can't describe fearless without talking about humility because the two go hand in hand. Because if, if, if you're fearless without humility, I think what you end up with is selfishness, right? I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to go after it because, because it's for me and I want to get mine and you know, I can do that. And and some people are wired that way, but I think you need to realize like you're called to be fearless on behalf of somebody else. And we spend a lot of time talking to our guys about how do you initiate, how do you create, how do you do something for the benefit of somebody else? That to me is true fearless humility. And, and we see that modeled in, in Jesus's life. And we talk a lot about that. Like, how do we as men act that way? How do we play that way? Right? It's hard to get our players to share the basketball. It's hard to get them to make that extra pass, But if they see their role as somebody who's uh, lifting up and benefiting somebody else, I think they're willing to do that. And so the other pillar of our program would be I am third, God first, other second, self third. And it's just impossible for me to talk about fearless without I am third, because they really balance each other. If you're only fearless and you're not third, you're selfish. If you're only third, but you're not fearless, I think you're soft. So I think we're called to balance and do both.
1: Yeah. What a great uh, paradox, right? How those two ideas uh, work perfectly together. Um, You you talked a little bit about this maybe a little already, but what specifically does a fearless player look like to you? Like in your program what behaviors do they exhibit
0: so we we have a series called fearless catch and this this sounds really simple and it is but we teach our guys how to catch the basketball and it's one of the first things we teach them when they come in as freshmen there's a certain way we're going to catch on two feet we're going to swipe our shoulders and eyes are going to be at the rim and you'd be surprised how many kids don't know how to catch basketball. They're fumbling over their pivot feet or they're switching it every other one. They're traveling. They're not looking at the rim. They're catching at 23 feet. So we have these series of very simple drills that say, this is how you catch. And when you catch, it's a, it's a fearless disposition. Like we want to put the defense on their heels. We, we, we want to initially state the fact that we're here to play offense and we're here to come down at you. And we're going to play downhill. Once guys learn that over time, That sets the tone for how we're going to play. Now, after we catch fearlessly, what we're going to do is what we say is we're going to create fearlessly. So it's not catch, go get your own bucket. It's catch, go create something for somebody else. You know, that something could be a screen. That something could be an assist. That something for somebody could be an offensive rebound. And when you can get guys to buy in that everybody's going to create uh, fearlessly in different ways, then you get a team, you know, you got your scores, you got your rebounders, you got your passers, you got guys that are like bought into something bigger than themselves, but they're also doing it very aggressively. When our guys have done that, like we've had our best teams and our best chance to win it all.
1: Yeah. And, and I think probably the irony of a a guy like Kyle Mangus, who was a, you know, multi-time all American, uh, scored a billion points in his career. And yet as an observer, seem to really embody the idea of fearlessly helping others play well. Again, it's, you know, there's a little paradox there of like a guy who scores so many points, but I think you would probably agree had that fearlessly humble and selfless mentality in the way that he played.
0: Oh man, Kyle Kyle embodied it. Uh, I had an NBA scout was asking me questions about Kyle and what's, what's he do best? I said, without a doubt, he's got the shortest memory of anybody you've ever coached. Like, he could miss a big shot and then he'll come right back down and take the next one. You know, he and he was in those moments. Like, he hit a lot of game winners in his career here, but he missed some too. And it never, he never blinked. It never, it, it, he always played hard. He was always unselfish. He was always thinking of his teammates. I mean, what a great quality. Like, to, to me, for Kyle, what it meant to be fearless, well, he didn't flinch and he didn't get down on himself and he could play through mistakes. Like, he had a gift of being fearless in that way. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that. Okay, so if, if you see a guy in your program who's not playing fearlessly, how do you address that? Like what's your kind of method for highlighting it and then helping to solve that problem?
0: Well, I usually, I usually suspect that thinking inward. Uh, nine times out of 10, when somebody's not fearless is because they're thinking about themselves. It could be the fact that they've missed a shot they turned it over, they feel sorry for themselves. It could be that maybe they don't feel like they're getting the, the opportunity, but really what it comes back to is, can you redirect this self-focus and put it onto something else? And the, the the cool thing is when the rest of the team's doing that, you know, when you have 13 guys that are really buying into thinking outside of themselves, it's easy to get the one guy on board because you can point to 13 examples and say, hey, look, these guys are all creating for others. These guys are all thinking about how they're adding value, not unto themselves. You know, can can we get you there? What is it that's keeping you? You know, helping them identify because a lot of it's habits. I think we all have habits. Our minds go to certain places unconsciously just because we've done it. But then to to be able just to pull a player aside and say, Hey, look, I, I notice right now what you're thinking is is not bringing about more joy and more freedom. Can you redirect that thought? Giving them an opportunity, showing them, and then eventually I think they get on board.
1: Yeah. I've heard you say, and you referenced already here, just the idea of, of relinquishing some control. I've heard you say that playing fearlessly means not only playing with freedom, but ultimately sacrificing and, and relinquishing the outcome in some ways, too. I know you're a competitor like me and probably like every other coach uh, that's listening here. How hard has that been for you? And what does that growth look like for you in terms of sacrificing or relinquishing the outcome more effectively?
0: I, I think it's the hardest thing to do in coaching, you know, to sit in the locker room before tip off and to say, I'm letting go of whatever happens. You know, like I, I wear myself down during season. I used to find like I would need an hour more sleep. I would look like I aged a couple years. And it was like, this was supposed to be the most fun time of my career, right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a college coach. I'm with kids. We're having a blast. We're winning some games. But inside, it was just like, man, I'm tore up because I'm constantly trying to, like, manipulate the score from the inside. And, and the reality is, I think us coaches have less control over the game anyways. You know, I, I, you've probably been there, too. Like, you're sitting in the locker room before tip-off just thinking about everything that could go wrong. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, what good does that do? So, I think relinquishing that and just surrendering and saying, Look, we've had a great week of practice. I've given everything I could. I've positioned these kids. The next 40 minutes ought to be fun. Like, I need to go out there and look like I'm having fun because they're going to feed off of me. And I'm not saying I'm there all the time, but I'm trying to get there. And that's one of my focus points. I'm friends with an NBA coach, and we talk about this all the time. He was just telling me the other day, he's miserable. Uh, He's just like, I'm having no fun. I got no joy. And I'm thinking, how many people, if you paid them, you know, four or $5 million would tell you they're miserable coaching basketball. I mean, Mm -hmm. but what happens is we allow fear and that control then to take over us. And we're no longer realizing like what we're called to do in the first place.
1: Yeah. I love that. And and maybe, maybe that response helps answer this question a little bit too. How has leading your program this way with this fearless, I am third mindset, how has it changed you? as a coach and a leader.
0: Well, I think that I've I've realized, man, I coach people not basketball. Uh at the end of the day, you know, when I when I want to turn things around or I want to maximize potential, I got to look at the hearts and the minds of my players. And and really for me, I'm always asking two questions. How do I unify hearts? How do I create fearless minds? And if I can get in the minds and the hearts of my players, I think I can turn dials that can't be turned with with the best set play or the best practice plan or, or whatever. So it takes a lot of discernment, it takes a lot of patience, honestly, a lot of prayer for me. That's just something I'm constantly praying for my players and asking, what is it? Cuz a lot of times I don't know. You know, we get to that we get that player that like we just can't figure out what's going to make him click and what's going to make him go and I think sometimes it's it's beyond our ability to know unless we go to uh, go in prayer and ask about those our whole staff does that, too. We, we constantly talk about it. Hey, what's going on in Bobby's mind? He, he, he's restricted right now. He's fearful and getting those guys to weigh in. And then hopefully we can identify it over time and, and take it to Bobby and, and give him a chance to, to move on from it. Sounds like therapy, right? I mean, I think sometimes. So coaches, good. So like, good. That's, I coach. think
1: all of us as coaches, I mean, it's uh, certainly part time teacher, part time psychologists, part-time counselor, part-time therapist. That's all part of the job, right? Absolutely. And maybe today more than ever with uh, so much yep. that our kids are dealing with.
0: We, we just had a, a, a entire athletic department session on, you know, suicide and they were telling us these astonishing numbers. And it's like, you mean, I'm just supposed to yell at my kids and demean them and then, you know, not worry about what they might do to each other, you know, like, or themselves, like it's, they're in a different world with social media, with the pressures. I mean, I think, you know, if we don't walk in and pay attention to what's in their minds and what's in their hearts, we're missing an opportunity for true transformation.
1: I love that. Okay. Well, let's wrap up with this. My sense has always been about you. And especially as your program has, has aligned itself more and more with this fearless, I am third identity that, this whole thing is about a deeper purpose for you in coaching and leadership. I get the sense that what happens in your program, you, you have a great desire to translate that in the lives of your players beyond their experience as, a, as an athlete. So can you just talk a little bit about how that purpose has gained clarity for you through this process and, and your desire to see what, what your guys experience in your program uh, what it means to them in their life beyond basketball.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier. I think when it finally clicked for me that I coach people, not basketball, I begin to realize the way I'm gifted, and the way I'm wired, and and the the purpose I have in coaching. And for me, as a Christian, it's I want to coach people that you know help them grow in the relationship with Christ. And I get to use basketball to do that. I mean, I I just pinch myself sometimes and think, am I am I really doing this? Like. I always felt like there was a call in my life for some sort of ministry when I was a kid and thought maybe I'd be a, a missionary or maybe I'd be a youth pastor. I had no idea I'd get to combine the two things I loved. You know, I grew up loving God. I grew up loving basketball. But for the longest time, I never knew how those things could coexist or mix. Like They were, they were always separate. And then I get this job and through failure and, and through keep trying, all of a sudden I begin to see it. this is it. You know, as, as I truly center my heart on God first and other people second my coaching comes alive when I'm not focused on just winning or my reputation or my season, but I'm focused on first growing closer to the Lord. Then I have something to share with other people, namely my players, man, coaching for for me then becomes the greatest fulfillment. Like I enjoy it. I'm having a blast doing it. And, you know, hopefully along the way you're, you're changing lives. Like everybody in coaching talks about changing lives, but I think when you connect a person spiritually you help them grow. You're truly changing their life.
1: My thanks to Greg Tonegal for joining us on the Champions 101 Culture and Leadership Podcast. And thanks to you too for your time here today. I hope you were challenged and encouraged by this conversation. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, make today a great day. Lead with courage and conviction and keep doing what champions do.